people that have sat next to me are in the Hall of Fame, um, players that I coached. Um, and everybody impacts your life. But, uh, you know, I've always been curious and wanted to learn and wanted to get better because the better I became, the better our players became and the better the people that coached with me would become. Welcome to the Honor It All podcast. I'm Honor Garrett, your host, and we're here to honor all that is good in the world. Each podcast, I interview top professionals, entrepreneurs, pro athletes, and coaches around the globe who are making a difference, impacting lives, and creating positive change. Today, we have a special guest, Hall of Fame NBA coach, and a dear family friend to the Garretts, Coach Larry Brown. Brown is the only coach and basketball history to win both an NCAA national championship, which is the Jayhawks, 1988, and an NBA title with the Pistons in 2004. He's also the only coach in NBA history to lead eight teams, different franchises to the playoffs. Coach Brown also has won a gold medal in the Olympic Team USA as a player and also won a medal as a coach in the Olympic Team USA one of the most successful basketball coaches of all time, yet all of his accolades don't even compare to the genuine, kind, and generous human being Larry is. Coach has dedicated his life to the game of basketball and imparting, impacting lives and young players, coaches, fans, and families. His heart is bigger than his successes. I'm so excited for Larry to share some of his stories and impart his wisdom. Welcome, Coach. How are you? I'm good, Honor. Thanks so much. That that introduction, my daughter must have written that. So, <laughs> thank you. No, well, I wrote it, but I consider myself one of your daughters. So. <laughs> um, I, I do as well. Uh, well, I'll tell you, and I'll tell my audience, I would not even be here today if it hadn't been for you helping me get my first job as a reporter and a producer, which means I wouldn't have even met my husband or be part of the Garrett family at all. And now we're coming up on 30 years of marriage and four grown children. So you are a true testament that everything we do in our lives has a profound effect on others. So, I mean, you have done that on and off the court, but what I wanna talk about right now is basketball. <laughs> so okay. when did you realize you wanted to be a coach and, and why? Uh, well, I love to play sports. Um, I lost my dad when I was young, when I was seven. I had an older brother who kind of was there for me, and he loved athletics. Um, coaches have impacted uh, My high school coaches were amazing. You know, at that time, kids played more than one sport, um, and I was lucky enough to play baseball, basketball, and football. Um, I think I spent too much time doing that stuff and not taking care of some other things I should have. But, uh, and I used to read these books um, that were written by a famous coach named Claire B. And it was a Chip Hilton series. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, he was an All-American high school player, played baseball, basketball, football, American Legion baseball in the summer. 
Then he went on to college, state college, and he had a coach named Rockwell who coached all the sports. And I think he taught American history. So my goal was I wanted to coach in high school, teach American history, have the summers off so I could work at a camp. Took a little crazy path here and there. And, um, you know, Coach Frank McGuire recruited my mother and I went to North Carolina. (laughs) And, you know, when you go to North Carolina and play for Frank McGuire and and then Coach Smith, Dean Smith, took over. You know, you're playing for two unbelievable human beings and two Hall of Fame coaches and kind of said, hey, I'd, I'd love to follow in their footsteps if I could. So it's safe to say that that McGuire and Dean Smith both had a huge effect on you as a player and a coach? I think every one of my coaches, um, you know, had a huge effect on on me. Um, I used to go to summer camp, you know, in high school and junior high with the football coach in Long Beach, Long Island, named Roy Illowit, and he was like a father figure to me. Um, but, you know, when you when you play in college, um, like I did for those, you know, Coach McGuire and Coach Smith, they be bo- both became my mentors. Um, when I went away and you know, like you mentioned, I was lucky enough to play on the 64 Olympic team. When I came back, Coach Smith asked me to come join him. Coach McGuire left um, to coach the Philadelphia Warriors. Coach Smith took over. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, Honor, you only had three coaches. You had the head coach and two assistants. And freshmen weren't eligible. So I was assistant coach and freshman coach. And Coach Smith allowed me to learn how to coach. Um, I'd get up early in the morning and draw up a practice plan. And he's late. He, I was an early riser. He was late. He used to read theology and stay up late. And I'd wait for him to come in. I'd hand him my practice plan. And he'd glance at it and hand it back and never told me how to coach or what to do. Never came to my practice. Um but he was always there if I needed help. And that allowed me, I think, to learn, you know, because you don't become good at anything unless you have failures, unless people allow you to do that. And I'm sure he scratched his head watching my teams play at times. Um, And I'm sure he would have scratched his head if he realized, you know, what I was trying to do with the players. I'll, I'll give you a funny story. Um, Charles Schaffer, who played at Carolina, was a Moorhead scholar going to um, law school, was a GA, and he was helping me coach. So coach came to us and said, you know, you're going to have about a 100 young men try out for the freshman team, and we have five kids on scholarship. And I know you two guys are real sensitive. You're going to want to keep everybody. But unfortunately, we can't. we got to cut it down to 15 as quick as we can. So I want you to have tryouts, but be aware that we have limited time and try to get the team down to a workable number real quickly. The next morning after our first practice, coach came in and met with Charles and I and said, you want the good news or the bad news? And I said, well, I like to hear good news. Uh, He said, well, 
you're probably going to have about 10 or 15 kids come to practice today because of the way you ran them and the drills you put them through. I said, well, what's the bad news? He said, well, the five scholarship kids' parents called and they don't want to come back. <laughs> oh, gosh. So that was how I started. <laughs> well, yes, you learn real fast. And I, I love that you bring up failures because I think so many people in life are just afraid to do things because of failure. And I love the, um, is it acrostic or an acronym that says failure is just a faithful or fierce attempt in learning you know you just we're all just learning and you don't get better if you don't make some mistakes so. no i you know i look around um nobody's successful by yourself um you know the people around you affect your life um some good some bad you gotta but you gotta be true to yourself but i you know being a coach um I've always been curious, you know, I'm, I'm 82. I miss smelling the gym on her. Uh, I want to share, you know, what I was taught because I don't think anybody had a better background than I have for the coaches that impacted my life. You know, I mentioned coach Smith and coach McGuire, my high school coach, but playing on the Olympic team, I played for Mr. Iba, Henry Iba from Oklahoma state played for John Mc. Clendon, who, you know, coached more historical black colleges and had more of his disciples coach than anybody. Both both were in the Hall of Fame. Alex Hannum, one of my pro coaches, was in the Hall of Fame. Um, people that have sat next to me are in the Hall of Fame. Um, players that I coached. Um, and everybody impacts your life. But, uh, you know, I've always been curious and wanted to learn and wanted it to get better because the better I became, the better our players became and the better the people that coached with me would become. And, uh, you know, I, I hated it if assistants sat next to me and used to go way to go Larry, you know, I wanted them to share, you know, their ideas so I could be better and our kids at the end of the day would be better. And that's the way the coaches that mentored me reacted. I mean, once you're a coach, if it's really your passion and what you think you should be doing, and, and you're always a coach. You've earned that respect and you put in the hard work and it's not a lifestyle um, for the faint of heart. Family really has to make unbelievable sacrifices for a coach. Um, well, one, I never went to work. That's something that, you know, I think about all the time on her. It was never a problem for me to get up early or stay late. Um, it was a problem for family. And you got to have a family that understands your passion and what you're trying to do because you don't do it alone. Um, and I was, you know, I was so passionate about what I was doing that, you know, I look back and there are a lot of things I, if I could have changed, I would have changed. I'm, I'm always reminded about when you get in a car, the rear view mirror is real small and the front mirror is, you know, the windshield is huge. So you look behind, you look behind to try to do better, but, you know, you got to look ahead and, and hope you're going to have opportunities to do better. 
you know, when you were talking about players and how everybody has to do it together, you, no one does it by themselves. What would you say is one of the most important aspects or of a good player? I mean, of a good teammate besides the fact that they're talented. What other what other attributes do you look for? Well, Coach Smith wrote on the board, play hard, play smart, play together, have fun. And I asked him, would you mind if I wrote it, be nice if we rebounded and defended? Um, <laughs> and I did that. I did that every day. And then uh, when I was a college coach um, and even in the pros, one of the things we always look for is character. You know, talent's a gift to God. You know, mm -hmm. some people are more talented than others. No matter how hard you try, talent's going to be there. But um, character's a choice. So whenever I was recruiting, you know, a player or being in the NBA and we're thinking of trading or drafting a player or hiring a coach, um, to me, character was really important. And the willingness to allow themselves to be part of something more important than themselves. I coach the team sport. So to me, when you coach a team sport, everything's about whatever you do impacts everybody around you. Mm -hmm. So when you're on the court playing, if you do your job, it affects the people around you in a positive way. If you don't, it's going to affect everybody. Mm -hmm. And if you act poorly off the court, do some silly stuff, which we all done. It impacts everybody in the program, the school, you know, your family. So getting back to what you said, I, I really, you know, I wanted to coach great players and kids that were athletic, but I wanted to coach people that I thought we could make better, that had this willingness to work hard and that cared so much about their teammates that they didn't, they didn't do anything that would affect them in a negative way. So I look for athletic kids. I look for kids without long necks because if you don't have a long neck, chances are you have long arms and you have reach because guys with, you know, long necks, they could barely put their hands over their ears. I look for guys that were split high, you know, had and long legs and, and were athletic because if you're an athlete and quick and make a mistake, you can recover. Some of us that aren't great athletes, you make a mistake. I don't care how diligent you are. It's over. So I yeah. think those were some of the things I would look for. So you've won national championship, a gold medal, um, a, an NBA title, and... I think even the life Chuck Daly, is it Chuck Daly Lifetime Achievement Award? You've pretty much won all the things that you can accomplish in basketball. What does that mean to you? And how did each one of them really affect you? To me, um, the relationships you build with the coaches you, you work with and the coaches you, you know, were fortunate enough to play for, um, the, uh, the opportunity you had to have some of the jobs I've had on or think about it. How many, 
how many coaches could go to the University of North Carolina and have an opportunity to coach there to have a chance to coach at UCLA, University of Kansas, SMU like I did, and then all the MBA and ABA opportunities that I had. Um, that stuff doesn't just happen. That just It was certainly because of my upbringing and then the people around me. Um, my great, you know, people ask me, what's, what was your favorite coaching job? And I always worry about that one. But <laughs> when I look, when I look back on it, to be honest, when I coached the freshman team and I was assistant coach in North Carolina, uh -huh. um, it blew me away when I was, when I was 26 after my first year at the university of North Carolina, I got off the Connecticut job and I went. And uh, I turned it down. I didn't think I was ready. Um, the uh, ex-football coach in North Carolina happened to go to Connecticut as the AD, and he watched me coach the freshman team. And Coach Smith said, you're crazy. You, you're never going to get another job like that. And I said, well, my chances, Coach, I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing. So, but, but I think, you know, I love playing but there comes a time in your life you can't play and to continue to be able to be in the gym, being around the sport I love. Um, coaching was a perfect Avenue for me. And, and the people, if you think about it, you know, my first year as a head coach, first two years at North at, um, Kansas on my staff was Greg Popovich, RC Buford. And you know, RC's now, yeah president of Spurs, um, Billy Baino, who became a coach at UNLV, John Calipari, who's now at Kentucky, Bill, Bill, Bill Self, um, who's the coach at Kansas, a kid named John Rovick, who became a head coach at Youngstown State and then worked for John at Kentucky, um, Alvin Gentry, who coached in the NBA for a long, long time was very successful, Ed Manning. Um, it's amazing throughout my whole life, the people that have sat next to me and the players that allowed me to coach them have gone on to do some wonderful things. Um, now, there's some players I think about, you know, you, we talk about not looking back. You know, there's some things I would have liked to change on how I dealt with some players. But for the most part, you know, I did my very best and I'm, feel pretty good about, you know, some of the things those kids and coaches accomplished. Is there a team that you've had, obviously um, at North Carolina, that's so dear to you in college, but is there, an, is there a professional team that you just had so much fun coaching? I, I loved them all. Honor, you know, some teams did better than others. Um, I took over nine NBA teams and only one had a winning record. Um, and and I remember when you when you're fortunate enough to have one of those 30 jobs or whatever, you uh, you want to really cherish that. But I remember bringing my assistants and I always used to try to bring people to coach with me that I had a relationship with because, uh, you know, loyalty and being around people that you trust 
it's it's really really vital to be that have that kind of staff now you know i was always aware of the people that i hired i i give you an example um i had the philly job and matt darty got the north carolina job and he fired phil ford um pat sullivan and dave hanners to bring in his own staff mm-hmm. And I got a call from Coach Smith, and he said, I want you to hire Pat Sullivan, Phil Ford, and Dave Hanners. I said, Coach, it's the beginning of the season. I don't have any job. He said, you'll find it, and hung up. Um, I eventually hired those guys, and I was so thankful for it. But, uh, you know, people that, you know, sit next to you and are part of your life and part of your family – are only going to make you a better coach. So when we went to these losing situations, um, there were some things that were really obvious to me and why we might have lost. One, maybe the players weren't quite as good as the competition. Maybe the coaching wasn't quite as good. Maybe management had a problem. And I, I always felt, you know, how you start is how you finish. So when we went in the locker room, and had the first three practices, I told these guys, you know, we got to be prepared because after three practices, these players will know whether you can coach or not. And that's going to be important. And they'd all say, oh, that's probably the most important thing. I said, no. And then I said, the second thing is uh, they're going to have to know if they can win with us. And they'll find that out after being around us a little while. And they said, oh, yeah, that's probably uh, – I said, that's important, but that's the most important thing. And then the third thing I said, if they know we can make them better, they'll make more money. And they all said, oh, yeah, that's probably the most important <laughs> thing. And I said, no, the most important thing is if they know you care and they trust you. And that's a really difficult thing to accomplish, especially when you take over a team that hadn't been successful. But if you can do that, and I've failed in some ways sometimes, but if you can do that, you can coach for a long time and players will play as well as they're capable of playing. The results will take care of themselves. Detroit was the only team that had a winning record. And I took over for a coach that had great values. Um, So when I walked in that locker room with my staff, those guys were ready to win. Wow. Um, they cared about each other. Um, individual goals were not priorities for them. Um, they were a defensive-minded team, which is, to me, if you're willing to defend every single night, um, that shows a lot about your character, and you're going to win a lot of games you should, don't have any reason to win. So I jumped into a situation that was built you know, to win a championship and really to win multiple championships. Well, just to be a head coach of one NBA team is amazing, but you were a head coach for about a third of them. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it's a different game today than it was 30 years ago? And what is one of the biggest lessons I guess basketball has taught you? Well, the game has changed. The players are much more athletic. Um, You know, they specialize 
sooner, which I don't think is a good thing on her, to be honest. Um, the uh, the three-point shot has changed the game a lot. Um, it's less physical um, than it was. You know, I was lucky enough to play in the ABA and coach in the ABA, and that gave kids of color an opportunity to play and express themselves. Um, you know, during the time when I graduated, I was drafted by the NBA. Um, and there were very few teams. Nobody was my size. The ABA gave people like me and, you know, kids of color an opportunity to play. A lot of young players wanted to play in the ABA. And it was more wide open. There was more athleticism than you were watching in, when you watched an NBA game. Um, and uh, the, the thing that I, I see now, um, it's become too much of an individual sport in a lot of ways. You know, the players are amazing. The coaches are amazing. You know, I'm not an analytic guy. Everybody I go around with now when I speak, everybody talks to me about analytics. And I always say, you know, I did analytics when I was 14 years old. And they look at me like, what are you talking about? I said, well, I knew what a good shot was, what a bad shot was. I knew we had to get more rebounds than our opponent. We had to shoot more free throws than our opponent. We had to take care of the ball. We had to get more assists. I said, those were analytics that were meaningful for me. Um, the analytics you get now, I... Uh, I value because the more knowledge you have as a coach, the better your players are served. Um, I remember Vince Cully said, um, analytics are like a drunk uh, using a lamppost. It's for um, illumination, not support. Um, and, and to me, any, Anything you can gather that makes you a better coach makes the players better, and you have that responsibility. But I'd like to see more physicality get back in the game. Um, I think, you know, you can't go near some of these stars. And, I, you know, I coached Allen Iverson. I coached David Robinson, David Thompson, you know, extraordinary players if they were playing today i think they'd average 50 games and that's not taking anything away from the great players now so coach what are your thoughts on the nil i love the idea that kids are able to make money now going to college i don't like the idea that the top player might make more than the 13th because i was taught you know one through 13 you treat the same you know, I was lucky. I could send my kids through through college and it wouldn't be a financial burden on me. And they could live like a normal student. I always hoped that every athlete would have that same opportunity. And, you know, NIL has helped that in, in a lot of cases. But, you know, a lot of kids go out, first thing they do is buy sneakers and, and jewelry and maybe a car. But, you know... I wish there was some way they could understand that the amount of money they make in Fran IL, you spread it over a lifetime. It's not that much. So yeah. it's really important that you have all the things that are necessary to get by in life. Mm 
Mm-hmm. If somebody said to me, you know, I could play for money, you know, I would have done that in a second. And, you know, matter of fact, Honor, I left North Carolina coaching to play in the ABA. Yeah, and Coach Smith said, Larry, you'll never get another job. That was another comment he made to me again. <laughs> And uh, I was making $6,000 coaching at North Carolina and 1000 for summer you know, camp, and he thought he overpaid me. And then when I went to the ABA, I went with my good friend Doug Moe, and we went to sign our contract. Um, they wanted Doug. They didn't give, really care about me, but he wasn't going unless I came. But... I would I would have played for anything they offered me. I couldn't believe they were going to offer me money to play. And they said uh, they were going to give Doug twenty thousand for his first year and twenty two for his second. And Doug's comment to a guy named Sean Mountain Downey Jr., who's the talk show host, happened to be the president. And Doug said, "Is the money guaranteed?" Because we had heard the league wasn't going to, you know, succeed. And he said, yeah, the, it's guaranteed. Doug said, well, will you give me an advance so I know you're sincere? And he said, sure, how much you want? He said, well, I'll take $5,000. And he said, yeah, I'll write you a check right now. And then he said, well, what are you going to give Harv? And now, you know, my middle name's Harv. <laughs> and, he, and he looked at me, and he, he didn't seem so excited. But he said, well, I'll give Larry $12,500. And I'm saying, wow. You know, here I am. Uh, I'm age seven now. Yeah, you got Doug. Yeah, and Doug said, "Well, what what will you give him if he starts?" And he said, "Well, if he makes the starting team, I'll give him twenty five hundred dollars extra." And I'm now I'm sitting there. I'm I'm saying I'm, I'm going to start now. I'm up to fifteen. And then he looks at me and he said, "You know, Larry, the New Orleans Saints are coming to New Orleans the same year we're." We're going to start. I think we need to get some goodwill around the community. And I know you're a coach. You mind coming early and doing some clinics for, you know, the kids. And Doug said, well, what will you pay him? And he said, well, Larry, if you come, you know, right away, I'll give you $8,000. And Doug said, hell, you're going to make more than I am. (laughs) Wow. That's fun. And that was that was my first experience, but uh, so I was going to ask you, know, you that because didn't you? So you were coaching, then you went back to playing, and then you got back into coaching. Is that right? Yeah. After the Olympics, I went back with Coach Smith, coached two years. Then the ABA started. Okay. And Doug and I, who was Doug, was a teammate at North Carolina with me. He was a senior when I was a sophomore. He played in Italy. You know, when the ABA started and he came back and he's my very best friend, took care of me in a lot of ways and ended up honor. We both coached together in the ABA um, first in Carolina when it was called the Carolina Cougars. And then we moved to Denver together and then he got the San Antonio job um, as a head coach. It's. It's funny, I, I when I talk to people and I tell people that I've moved, I've moved 14 times in 30 years of marriage and they can't believe it. They think it's crazy because you, you start over everywhere you go. Um, 
but I might, my numbers might pale in comparison to yours. Do, have you ever counted up how many places you've lived? Not really. I, uh, I got to re be reminded how many jobs I've had. Um, <laughs> but it impacts family. You know, everybody always asks me, what was your favorite place to live? And I always used to say where I had the best players. But uh, that's where you impact family. You know, I uh, it's it's just amazing the adjustment kids have to make, and your wife wife has to make, and people around you that you've grown to love and establish relationships when you just end up moving. Um, you know, think about me on my first coaching job uh, as a freshman coach. I worked for Dean Smith. He coached at Carolina 36 years. And now one of his, you know, kids is Larry Brown. Look what he's done, where he's gone. And everybody said, if you had to do it all over again, what what we do, I I changed some things about handling people. Um, but I wouldn't change what I've done and the, the way I've done it. I can't, like you said. You only hope that when you were there, when you were coaching and being around people, you tried to do the very best you could with all the people you were lucky enough to come in contact with. Well, and people ask us all the time, what's what's your favorite team? Or yeah, it's the one it's the one you're currently with. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's right. But no, I mean, as long as you meet good people and you're doing what you love i mean every place has been amazing there's things and and you've you've raised amazing kids and i believe my kids are doing just great and thriving and in some ways moving around has made them very resourceful very adaptable um very good at um embracing change and so i think in some ways, if they can handle it, you set them up for future success. Oh no, that's that's your greatest accomplishment if your kids grow up and help others, yeah. you know, and do the things that they really have a passion for. You know, I I hate to tell anybody what they should do, you know, but I think whatever they do. I would hope they'd have a passion for it. And in some ways, make other people around them better. Then, then I think that would be pretty, pretty neat. Well, I'll say, um, I know that you lost your dad at a young age, but am, am I correct when I read that your mom lived till she was 106? 105 or six, we're not, we're not sure. My grandfather was a baker. He came over from Russia and then went back and brought the family with him. And uh, I had this steerage. One of my cousins sent me it. I think they landed in in uh, Holland and then came over, you know, on a boat. And we weren't exactly sure, but it's either 105 or 106. Um, so well, pretty amazing. And my brother. Amazing. And if you have her genes, then you got a lot more life in you and you have a lot more to do. 
So what I wanted to ask is, do you have anything on the horizon? What are your hopes for the future? Well, I still want to smell the gym. Um, you know, Penny Hardaway let me coach at the University of Memphis with him. You know, I had some back issues, so I had to leave this year. But um, I just love being on the court with the kids. I've never really enjoyed games, honor. Um, I like the competition, um, but I always was scared to death that, you know, when our team stepped out on the court, we might not be prepared for something that might come up. And that was anxiety with me was, you know, it was pretty stressful, but I love practice because, you know, it's about making others better, you know, not only your players, but the coaches that you coach with. Um, and I like teaching. I like fundamentals. Um, you know, the way I see teaching now, it's a lot different than the way I, I did it. You know, everything that I did was something I learned from somebody else. I, I don't consider myself an innovator. A lot of, there's a lot of coaches out there that really are, but, um, if I see something that somebody does, that's really good. The only way I would ever put it in our program is if I could teach it better. Um, I remember, you know, you having a football background. I went to hear Bab Bryant speak. And when he was allowed to coach kids of color at Alabama, he had to change the way he coached. Um, and he put in the wishbone. And he said he didn't put it in until he felt he could coach it as good or better than the person who invented it. Oh, wow. And and that's the way I've always looked at things. You know, I go speak at a clinic and everybody wants you to give them a drill or give them a play, you know, a three-point play, an out-of-bounds play. And I said, no, you, you got to, you know, teach the things they are comfortable teaching because you can't fool the kids, you know. And don't be intimidated by a coach that comes here and tells you all the things that he's done. You know, go out and make sure that you're comfortable in teaching the things that you know your kids can execute. And you find out what your kids are capable of doing and then gear it to teach that way to their strengths. And the things that they're not good at, you know, make them realize the things they're not good at, you got to work harder. Well, that's the great thing about self-awareness is if you know what your strengths are and you can surround yourself with people who are good at the things you're not good at, <laughs> that's when that's when you can really work as a team, right? Yeah, well, they should make that as a biography, you know, as a highlight for me. I don't think Larry Brown would have done squat if he didn't have all these great players and coaches around them. And I think that's probably true in a lot of ways. Um, every day, Honor, I went to practice. Um, when I was a player, the people around me challenged me and made me better. Um, and whatever level I played on, every day I went to practice, um, we were prepared because we all met. You know, I wanted to walk in a room and I, I didn't want to tell you know, my assistants, what they should do. I wanted them to tell me what we needed to do. 
I wanted to empower them because by doing that, they empowered me and made me better. And then it, at games and in practice, I wanted their input. You know, when we were, if I was at practice and we were scrimmaging, running up and down the court, I wanted the kids to hear one voice. Um, but when we were doing drills or it was a, a quiet moment, I wanted them to hear multiple voices so they knew I respected the people that were working with me and I valued them. Mm. And at games, um, I wanted my assistants. I don't get these, the coaches now, if you watch college and pro, the coaches are standing up, running up and down the court. And I, I wanted to sit next to my coaches and close to the players and have my coaches share their ideas as the game was going on. It didn't mean I did everything they told me to do, but it made me better. And I valued everything they said to me. And the kids knew that I valued the assistant coaches as much as I valued them. And uh, I think it was really helpful and important. Well, that right there is what made you and makes you such an incredible leader. I mean, gosh, I think any team even now would be lucky to have someone like you at their side and, and helping them win and continue to win more championships. Well, you know, I think um, the NBA, NCAA just put in a new rule on her that the more people can be on the court. And I think it's a great rule. It's going to help older people, you know, like me, because you don't have to have recruiting responsibilities. And, you know, if I went out now and it was when I was with Penny and go out and recruit say, Hey, this is my assistant, Larry Brown. The only way they'd know anything about me is if they Google me up. <laughs> um, a, a lot of them, you know, recognize me because of my relationship with Alan Iverson, which I cherish, even though I, you know, I tease their, Alan every time I see him, my hair is white because of the five years we spent together. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's important, I think, that older people, you know, explain things that they've done, that they think they can make young coaches better. And then it's a great thing for young coaches, you know, to have more young coaches on the court actually teaching. Um, because by the young coaches getting better, the kids are going to get better. And that that's a really valuable thing for kids to be exposed to really great coaches that care about them that want to make them better and that make them understand honor that you don't get better just by showing up the harder you work the luckier you get and uh you know i i remember i was working at um nike 100 camp the best 100 and uh kobe bryant happened to be there and um the kids, a lot of the kids were asked if they wanted to watch Kobe work out. And, you know, a bunch of them were excited. They they said, all right, be, be in the lobby at 445. And they thought it was in the afternoon. <laughs> and, you know, I... Uh, Dedication. I yeah, you know, Kobe used to say, kids today... You know, they're going to practice one and a half hours, maybe two hours, twice a week. I'm going to work out three times a day, seven days a week, 
365 days a year. And in five years, think about who's going to be better. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's the truth. Um, and you look at some of these great players in the NBA and in college, it, it's not an accident. You know, they were lucky enough to be with some parents or teachers or coaches that really cared. And they had this work ethic that realized, you know, the harder I work, the chances of me being successful are going to be there. And if I'm not, you know, if I don't get to the level I, you know, I had hoped for, I'm still going to be better off. Um, you know, the, the worst thing, what, what's that saying? Um, if, if winning pays a, a really big price, uh, wait till you get the bill for regret. Is that mm, something yeah, like that? Exactly. I think exactly. that's, that's pretty, pretty amazing. Do you feel like you make more of an impact coaching in college or in in the pros or does it really matter? It's just you're teaching people. No, it, it really doesn't matter because now, um, you know, you look at the NBA now, honored. There's so many young kids that, are, you know, in college and now with COVID, you got 24, 25. Even there was a kid at um, Memphis that turned 26. Um, now he had a he had a reason for being older. You know, he had to, he had to work a couple of years and had some difficult issues. But you know, a lot of college teams are as old as. You know, NBA teams, you, you know, we look at LeBron, he's 38, but there's a lot of really young kids that are playing in the NBA. Um, so the impact is really um, how you do as a coach, you know, do you get them to play the right way? Do you get them to act the right way? Do you get them to reach their potential? Mm -hmm. Um all those things really, really matter. Um, and then the the coaches that sit next to you, um, the greatest gift I could give any of the coaches that work with me was to be able to do what I did, mm -hmm. you know, to be a head coach like, like John did, you know, mm -hmm. like hopefully he does again. Yeah. You know, that's okay. uh, it's pretty darn special. The other night, which is amazing, I went to see Myers Park High School play, and George Lynch, who played for me, and Nazim Mohammed played for me. Their sons both play for Myers Park, and they're in the state championship. And Kevin Durant sat next to me. He just came to the game. They were, you know, he's with Phoenix now. They they played Charlotte last night. On a day off, he came to a high school game with Nazi, sat next to me. And it was like, one, you know, I admire the hell out of him. He's, he's as fine a player as I've ever seen. But sitting next to him, he's a better person. Wow. He came to the game because he loves the game and loves the kids. Mm -hmm. And to sitting, sit next to him and talk to him, it blew me away. How lucky am I? That's great. That's awesome. Wow. And it's just neat to see the people you impacted and their kids now, and then they're playing and 
it's it makes us realize how old we're getting but at the same time <laughs> yeah I'm, very, a, I'm gonna i'm gonna forget that part that old part. we're very blessed though well yeah. you've already started building this incredible legacy um what do you hope that when people see you they that that people say about you what would you hope that they would say about you well, people psychoanalyze me on her all the time. Why did you move so many times and this and that? Not, I don't have an answer for that. Um, you know, if I had my druthers, I would have loved to have been like Coach Smith and stayed in one place for 35, 40 years because I know kids kept coming back to see him to Chapel Hill then their families came back and then their young kids came back. Even some young kids ended up playing, you know, at Carolina. And that was something, you know, if I look back on it, that wow, what kind of legacy would that be if I'd have been fortunate enough to stay in one place? Um, you know, I, I'll tell you another silly story. One day he asked me, where do you want to coach someday? This is right after I, turned down the Connecticut job. And I said, well, I'd love to coach Carolina and be the head coach someday, but I don't want to see you leave. I mean, that would be the worst. He said, well, where would you think about it? And I said, well, Princeton, Northwestern, Vanderbilt, or Stanford. He said, why, why those schools? I said, well, you're probably going to get kids that are coming there for the right reasons. They're going to be great students. And they all have terrific histories, you know, in terms of basketball and playing great conferences. And when I was 70 on her, Bob Bowlesby, who was the um, athletic director at Stanford, offered me the job. And wow. I turned it down. <laughs> I, I just, I, you know, my kids were in, you know, one was in um, junior high and one was you know, just getting ready in high school. And I just said, no. And <laughs> how dumb was I? Well, you know, it's, it's funny because when you, you say things, I'll, I'll never do this. And John and I said, we'll never live apart ever. We're going to keep the family together. And then you have kids and they're, they become a priority and we weren't going to move our kids to Oregon their senior year in high school. And John's out at Oregon State and I stayed in Tampa and we just are like we'll make it work because it's what <laughs> what you felt like was right and so but yeah but that wasn't a lifelong dream like what you <laughs> so I don't know I don't know what my husband would have done with that one yeah but what you asked me about what um I would like people to think about me is that you know I cared about the people I coached and the people I've come in contact with and I did the best I could, you know, I'm, you know, again, people talk about, you know, some of the school schools I, I was involved with gotten some trouble. Um, you know, UCLA got in some trouble, but a, a lot of people when I left thought that I was the one that got in trouble, got them in trouble. They were, things that happened long before I got there. You know, I went to SMU, something happened. You know, one of my assistants did something that he, he regretted. We got in trouble. 
you know, and they had head coaches responsibilities. So I hear people talk about me being evil, you know, and getting, and then I hear people about, well, you can never stay in one place and people got tired of them. You know, those are just people that don't know me. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter. The people that are with you know what you're about. And that's, the, that's the only thing that really, really matters. And did you do the very best you could every single day? And that's what I try to do. You know, I, I think I might've told you John McClendon, you know, was the, one of the first black students to go to KU. Um, he was assistant Olympic coach with mm -hmm. me and, you know, coached all the historical black colleges. He offered me my first coaching job. He learned under James Naismith, who invented the game, who was the first coach at Kansas. So my, my life goes all the way back to the beginning of the game. And I got stories all the way through, you know, with Olympics and college, pro, ABA, high school, you know. So that's what I want to share with people. Did you have superstitions or like <laughs> that you did? didn't you wear a new tie? Did you continue doing that when you left the Spurs? Because I, I remember it with the Spurs. That was something I've always been serious about um i paisley ties and if we lost but being in the you could have a great year and you're gonna lose 30 games that's that's a lot of ties so i got dispensation <laughs> on that one but uh i remember a silly story on her um john calipari when he worked for me um i inherited him when i went to kansas um, he worked for me at Kansas, and then when he lost a job in the NBA at New Jersey, I brought him to Philly with me. But um, I remember when he was, you know, at Kansas, we went to Columbus to play Ohio State, and he was from Pittsburgh, and that was the closest, you know, we were going to get to Pittsburgh. So he had family coming to Columbus, and he brought a brand-new suit, and we lost. And I said, John, you can never wear that suit again. <laughs> you know, and GAs weren't making a lot of money at that time. And he was crushed. But I gave him the dispensation. I said, no, you can. But why don't you pick out a game that you know we're going to win when the <laughs> next time you wear that suit? That is great. Yeah. But that was, I, I had a lot of silly superstitions, to be honest with you. But um, the tie one was one that was real serious with me and Paisley. You know what? The Paisley tie, when I was a freshman um, on the freshman team in high school, I was a seventh grader and made the team. I was so small, so skinny, and they didn't have any shorts to fit me. And my mom, I had a Paisley bathing suit, and I wore that, I wore that as my shorts, and our colors were blue and white. And the bathing suit was some ugly green. So I think that might have affected my Paisley tie superstition. Oh, that's so great. And so, but you did that all the way through your entire oh, yeah. coaching career? Okay. That's yeah, a lot I, of ties. So I, yeah. want, I want you to count up all your ties and all your moves. <laughs> <laughs> 
No. <laughs> that not. might be in the Guinness Book of World Records. I, I really honestly think. Yeah, well, I, I think at one time I coached more games than anybody probably ever, you know, with my freshman team and USA teams and um, ABA, college, NBA. Um, I think I probably coached more, probably lost more games than anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Well... Listen, if you're making it to 106, you got a lot more coaching to do <laughs> or consulting to do. But um, Coach, I'd love to end each podcast uh, with the same question for each guest. This podcast is called the Honor It All podcast. So what are you choosing to honor today? Well, I always say, I'm, you know, people say, how are you doing? I'm saying I'm above the grass. But um, <laughs> um, I'd like to think about those people in East Palestine, Ohio, and hope that some way, somehow, our country feels a need to go in and help yeah. some of those people that... Because, you know, there's tragedies all over. And I think sometimes we get caught up in the, trying to think about things that really don't matter. Um, but I'd like to honor them. And then I'd also like to figure out a way that our, our society be a lot like a, a locker room, mm -hmm. like we talked about earlier. Can you play and are you decent? Wow. You know, that'd be pretty neat. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a perfect way to complete this episode with Coach Larry Brown. Thank you, Coach. And until next time, everyone, remember, we're not promised tomorrow. So be present today. It's a gift and take time to honor it all. Thank you, Coach. Thanks, Arthur.